you actually have to learn like CIA does not carry guns. They're not, we did learn firearms, but that was only because I was in security for a brief stint. Right. But most of the people there, they don't know how to use a gun. There's not, it's not like Hollywood, but FBI and DEA and those, you actually do. And you have a skill that, you know, is important. I'm not saying there aren't skilled people at the CIA, but just remember when I said I wanted to learn ethical hacking, they had no idea what I was talking about. What do you mean by that? When I was getting ready to either resign or get another assignment, which I had wanted to get another assignment, um, I asked if there was some way I could do some ethical hacking training because I really wanted to get into something more specific where I'd have a skill. Um, And they just, the people that in the management just had no idea what that was. I know some people there do know what it is. What it's is it? I don't know what agency. it is. It's yeah. when you learn how to hack, but you're on the, the good side of it. You're not doing like the hacking for bad reasons. You're doing it for like um, security. Ooh, but reasons. who determines? Who determines what's good and bad? This is episode number 236 with former CIA officer Shelley Mateer. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for joining us today and tuning in. Look, we've all seen Hollywood versions of what the CIA does, but few of us know what being a CIA officer is really like. In this episode, we sit down with former CIA officer Shelley Mateer as she takes us behind the scenes of the CIA. Shelley was a young, single woman when she joined the CIA after seven years of applying. What she hoped to find was fulfillment in her career, but what she found instead will absolutely surprise you. So listen in as Shelly talks about the reality of being a single woman in the CIA, her take on current events, and tips for anyone interested in joining a government agency. So without further ado, here's Barbara Allen with Shelly Mateer. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I'm your co-host, Barb Allen. Look, I love, I always say this, and then I say, I always say that I always say this, but here I go again saying it. I love meeting the guests that we meet. I love getting into their stories. I love all the lessons we learn and the insights and perspectives on life that I gain from every single guest that we interview. And today's guest is someone, I think we've only interviewed one other person Uh, And that is someone that she knows and works with as well, uh, Ron Hammond, who has experience in the same branch that she does. But uh, Shelly Mateer is a former CIA officer. I think Ron told me the word you used, the officer, correct? Officer, Officer. (laughs) I said, I said agent, like the Holly, you know, like the movies, right? (laughs) Uh, CIA officer. And she spent a long time in this uh, government branch, this government branch, branch of service, Um, As a young single woman, and as you all know, any woman who knows in a competitive field, especially one that tends to be male dominated, that comes with certain challenges. So I think that alone shows some guts and bravado that she just held her own in this crazy field. And I don't know about you, but I have my own perceptions based on really zero facts of what it would be like to work in the CIA. And then I read Shelley's book, Uh, titled Single in the CIA. And what an eye opener that was. And I love in the book, Shelley did not go into uh, specifically like jobs and, and uh, 
assignments that she was on, but really more about what life was like as somebody who worked for this uh, government branch of service. And we're going to get into all of that today and more uh, because Shelley is also very outspoken, well-written um, on current events in our country. She is a prominent part of Ops Lens, which we are proud to be affiliated with and work with as well. And uh, we're going to get into what it's like to be a young single woman working in the CIA and what that lifestyle entails and uh, the pros and cons of service or advice for anybody who's maybe willing to get into service and, you know, and serve their country in any capacity and what the heck is going on in this country today from someone with a unique perspective of having worked in the CIA. Shelley, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you for having me. So let's get into it and let's talk a little bit. Let's go through some of what you have in your book, which uh, I did read and I really, really enjoyed, but it was so surprising to me. I think one of the biggest things that struck me about your book uh, is that I just, I think I expected more of people who work in the CIA than what yeah. it appeared to be in, you know, based on what I read in your book. Like I, I was surprised to hear about the infighting, you know, I mean, politics is everywhere. Politics is on your school board, on your PTA, for around big, I mean, you can't do anything with more than two people that politics doesn't get involved, but the extent to which that got involved in the office nuances and the day-to-day -day life and some of your supervisors that you talked about and the behavior they displayed, it was really sort of shocking to me that this could, that yeah. that, that could, could happen to such a degree um, in there. So let's just talk a little bit about when you got started. First off, what prompted you to decide, hey, I think I'm going to go join the CIA? Because for a lot of people, especially young women, like you might think that, but it seems like, hey, I'm going to run off to Hollywood and be a movie star, like one of those like kind yeah. of fantasy things, well, but you actually did it. Yeah. It was similar to that, actually. I, I had the idea of being James Bond or at the time, I think Men in Black was the movie out in college. And um, my family was all government, but not CIA. So I wasn't really the law enforcement type where I can't, I could probably couldn't bust down a door. I'm not very aggressive, like really. Um, so I chose the CIA. Um, I guess because I've traveled a lot as a kid, we lived overseas and, um, I, uh, I liked foreign languages. So I just, got an, a degree in international relations and thought, I want to work for the CIA. Is that how, did you know that that degree would be helpful in that career choice or were you just kind of mm -hmm. guessing? Um, well, it was kind of guessing. I probably should have gone into being a lawyer. It seems like they like lawyers a lot now. Um, really? But I, didn't, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. When, uh, oh, I can explain better, but when, as I I came in actually older than most. I was 28. No, 29. Oh, old and, lady. Right. But most <laughs> of the people coming in after me were like 22, 25, wow. but they all had law degrees. Um, I only have, I have a bachelor's degree in international relations. And at the time, a bachelor's degree was what I guess now almost a master's degree is. Um, and I forget where I was going with that, but the, uh, <laughs> All the lawyer kids seem to get much more respect, obviously. But really, I am. Um, yeah, the idea was international relations. You would go into either the Department of State or CIA or. Okay, so mm -hmm. 
you get this degree, how do you actually go about applying to work for the CIA? Well, they have um, CIA.gov, and I'm sure they still do the same types of things. You can apply online, um, or they have recruitment events at colleges. I think they go out. I was never at one of those. I was in California, and there really wasn't much of that, I don't think, out there at the time. Um, when I got out of college, they weren't hiring at all, but I was, I just tried and tried. I tried for seven years. You tried um, for seven years to get into the CIA. <laughs> what yeah, were you doing I, in the meantime? Uh, well, I graduated and I, I think I started applying before I graduated. Okay. Um, and then I, I went to work at first at a record store because no one in California knew what international relations was. So it didn't matter that I had a degree. I couldn't really get a job. Um, but I did, I worked at a record store and then I worked at, um, a place in Sacramento for a while that tracks legislation. It it used to be called StateNet. Um, now it's LexisNexis bought them out, but that, that comes into play now because I know more about the way the legislatures work than I ever would have known. I know how a bill gets through the legislature and cause I used to track different States and. All right. So that's good. So I know um, we have a heavily, we have a audience and community is heavily invested in the state of this country and how things are going and all this. And probably most of them understand this as well. But in case we have somebody who's hopping on who is not quite clear, and I'm going to be straight up honest, like, I don't know that I could actually lay out the specifics of how that goes to. So can, are you able to give like the one, two, three, four step, you know, like map out the steps for that, for that bill to become a law? Yeah, it's been it's been a while um, and different state legislatures have more complications than others. Um, but, you know, a bill is introduced. Sometimes it's pre-filed. They pre-file like, like hundreds of them in some states, thousands in like New Jersey. I used to track New Jersey. They did thousands and um, it gets introduced by the legislator and then it goes through the process. It it goes to committees sometimes, sometimes it gets amended, sometimes it goes, you know, so it's multiple steps. Yeah. And then it goes to the other house. Now I could have this wrong in some states. I think some states only have one house, but if you have a house and an assembly, no, an assembly and a Senate, sorry. Yeah. It's been over 10 years, but um, it, go, it has to go to the other house, has to be approved by that house or it gets sent back and then it might get amended or, or it can be killed and then eventually gets to the governor. And if the governor signs it, it's law. So what is to you, one of the things that is so freaking maddening to me uh, as just a regular citizen is when I see, and this happens on either side uh, of the aisle, is that when there's a bill up for discussion, up for debate, right? And all these other things are, you know, like the voting bill, for instance, and instead of just dealing with the voting bill, all these other things that have nothing to do with voting are attached to this, yes. you know, like sending money to, I don't know, mm-hmm. Pakistan for something or whatever it is, right? All these things that have nothing to do with the primary bill of focus are attached. And it almost seems as if that's done to sink the first bill or force people to get through. And it just seems like a colossal waste of time. Mm-hmm. Would you have any thoughts or opinions or insight on, like, is there some kind of 
policy or rule, or what do you think of creating some sort of policy or rule that you have to have standalone bills or there's a, there's a limit? Like, is there any yeah. limit to how many bills you can lump together? You know, I, there probably should be. I, I would imagine there might be in certain states, but um, I don't know, because I know what you're talking about, but that's just yeah. a way to sneak a pet project in, probably, I mean, it, it, what, as we've seen. What do you yeah. say to people who, or what would you offer out to people who get so pissed off, like, you know, the infrastructure bill is, is up there now, right? And mm-hmm. everyone knows where I stand, so I'm not even going to really pretend to, like, dance <laughs> around this, because I'm not a dancer, you know, anyway, right? But um, <laughs> they've attached, the left has attached human infrastructure to, you know, roads and trains and airports or whatever Mm -hmm. that all is. And I think that's a bunch of garbage. That's the way to get in all the crap that they want to get in. What do you think of, what do you think of that? Um, Do you disagree with that? Uh, Do you like the human infrastructure part? Do you think it's a big deal? I'm just interested in like your own personal thoughts on that. Well, I think, I mean, infrastructure to me means let's work on the hospitals. Let's work on the airports and the roads and the bridges. Those need more help, I think, than all the other things. Um, But I'm not an engineer, but I would imagine that in this country, they all need a lot of work. So the other parts of it, I I would say, let's maybe separate that out uh, I haven't looked at all that stuff. I try to, I try to block it out, honestly, because it's just too depressing. Yeah. (laughs) And you know um, what? I hear that a lot. I hear that more and more and more and more. And I get it. I did that too for a while. I also think that because we all blocked it, we all did that. And we're all, mm -hmm. a lot of us are still doing it now. I think that's what got us here. Right. I remember, Mm -hmm. and I use this example all the time, but it's the one that just comes to my head and it's the one that is most glaring to me. You know, my fiance, my boys and I, we walked in Trump's inaugural parade with an organization that uh, was hosting families of fallen service members to do so. So we got to walk in Trump's inaugural parade and we saw, you know, we, we were taken off of some streets because there were riots and people were burning cars and stuff. And we were like, well, that's just idiotic. And, and then we saw the next day, all like the thousands of women who were so offended at Trump's use of one word, they came down to DC with vagina hats and they were wearing vagina hats. And I was like, these people are just straight up crazy. Like the, the irony and then protesting a word that they say is vulgar by wearing something that is, you know, could be construed as vulgar is just, how can anybody not see that? And I just made the assumption that the idiocy And the hypocrisy behind that would speak for itself. And that's where that movement would die. I thought Mm -hmm. the vagina hats would be the death of that movement. And so I let it go. You know, I sat back and I was like, you know, I paid attention to some extent and watched, but I just assumed that um, other people would be taking care of this and would would see this. But that's not what happened, right? That all that happened is that those people got more powerful, more powerful, more loud. And now here we are today living in this world that many of us don't recognize. So I sort of feel like we all have to pay attention. We all have to start reading things. We don't all have to read all the bills, but we should read some of them. We should skim them and get some sort of understanding. I certainly don't know, you know, I know there's much, much more that I don't know than I do know, but I'm at least trying Mm -hmm. to 
kind of research well, and yeah. educate, but but I hear you. It is depressing, and it is. I more, that, but... I more mean like I don't watch the mainstream media oh, anymore, yeah, yeah. pretty much at all. I mean, I I just kind of see what happened with a lot of people I know in their say forties, who and mostly women with no children, who um, they were as soon as I was writing articles for Opslins, by the way, that even touched on subjects that they didn't like which is mostly I was writing about the state that California was in because I had gone back to live there, but that's a long story. And um, I was writing about the state that California is in, which by the way, would be the state the whole country's in if you let it go that way. Yeah. And it's not good. Um, and I was writing about children, like what we were going through with the lockdowns, which was much worse in California than anybody even knows. And my poor children suffered because of it very much suffered yeah so trust me I am extremely active in that but I have to do things from a background like a sort of anonymous way sometimes um for other reasons so but when I I do things from the background because I figure all these people whining complaining I honestly think there's more people on the other side who don't agree but yes. then you get those people that say, oh, this is all conspiracy theory. I, I got accused by a family member of being, Q, what was it, QAnon? I didn't even know what uh, they were talking about. I was like, <laughs> who's that? I, I have no idea. The, but so there's that certain segment of yeah. um, mostly people who are doing pretty well, who like working at home because they don't have to commute and pay the $6 gallon gas in California, which by the way, that's what it's always been. It's been wow. four to six in certain wow. areas. Um, but they did, they like it kind of cause they got to stay home. I never was like that. I, I always cared about if other people were suffering, like what if, what about the kids with autism? What about the kids mm-hmm. that are deaf? What about, there's just so many other things. I'm not saying I have that problem, but someone else does. So I always stood up for those other people um, more than myself. And I find it kind of disgusting that a lot of these people were only about themselves and how it affects them and their family. And if it doesn't affect them, they don't worry about it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that going around, too. I have also been accused of that, of only caring about myself. I have been accused, you know, when I would point out things like we can't continue to let millions of people pour through our borders and then we as Americans can't absorb their cost of their medical care and their housing while, by the way, granting them the right to vote and giving them free licenses. But then, no, you can't have a license to vote because that's racist, but we're going to give these illegal people and we're going to let them vote. Like insane. And I would try to point out that that's just not sustainable, that the American taxpayer cannot continue to carry that burden because we're getting squashed. And man, did I get a few new holes ripped in me by people who just <laughs> told yeah. me what a horrible, selfish person I am because yeah. all I care about is my finances and my income and shame on me and I'm the problem and all this stuff. And it's like, there's really no logic being displayed um, and, yeah. and no willingness to listen to all the points because I think anybody would understand that there's a limit. There is a limit to resources and Right. And saying that you can't continue to have millions of people pour in and have, you know, this many people supporting this many people that's going to grow to this many people being supported by this many people. It's not sustainable. No, 
But, well, I think it's funny that they won't let Cubans in because mostly <laughs> probably because they'd vote Republican. Right. And also I have friends from Europe, like Switzerland, trying to come in. They won't let them come in to spend money here to be tourists. Wow. But they'll let people in the border, like just randomly. And we don't know where they're coming from. Right. And uh, by the way, they're not being forced to be vaccinated either, but there's yeah. legislation in discussion to force Americans to be vaccinated. Like, yes. Well, they're what forcing a lot of Europeans yes. are being forced already. They're already vaccinated. Most So this is a vaccinated person coming from, say, let's just pull out Switzerland. Right. And they can't even get in. And, you know, it just it doesn't none of it makes any sense. But as soon as you bring that up, that certain pocket gets very upset. Yes. And, um, but I still think the majority out there, they're just, they don't know what to do. And maybe they're waiting for their vote to count. I, I don't know. Let's well, just we're going to wait a long time unless we don't fix <laughs> it. Know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. But so, you can't talk about that either. Oh, so, no. You know, we don't oh, no. want to go there. But we do anyway, um, right. because yeah. like you got it, you have to talk about it. Like what or what do we do? And now you've been all over the world for mm -hmm. the CIA. Can you compare and contrast life that you've seen in other countries versus life in America? Yes. You know, pros and cons, like things that are better yeah. in other countries that you think America could benefit from, or things in America that are, you know, far better or whatever you want to call it that then you see yeah. in other com countries well i the countries i went to uh, were mostly either latin america or um it would be eastern europe so in those countries i would say the things they do better are they're just more um the people usually are i hate to say it but they're they're more educated than most than the average american they just know more history they care more about things that like we're talking about and some people don't care in the United States. And I don't think we learn enough history and geography and things about, I don't, I don't know, bigger picture things. I don't think we, we learn enough in this country in our public schools basically. But in Europe, I would say that I found much more educated people, people that just got what you were saying without even saying it, you know, just, I don't know what you call that. But there was more of that. And then I worked, I didn't go to these countries because obviously I would stand out like a sore thumb, but there were certain countries in the Middle East that I worked with the people that would come out of. Right. And I would say that those countries, without naming names, um, they, they went from women being free, having careers, being doctors, professionals, allowed to go to school to just one, well, basically one day, I'm sure it happened over a, a short span of time. They all of a sudden you got to wear a burqa. You have to cover up. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't drive. You can't go to school. And I, when this came out in California and they started with the mask mandates, which I'm very much against, um, we had the, it was, I think the second County in the nation that mandated masks. And there was no reason for it. We were in the middle of the Mojave Desert. There was nothing around us. There was there were no cases. And by the way, cases does not equal deaths, right? So I just didn't understand. But there was complete hysteria around me. And I likened it to these countries where these women all of a sudden have to cover up. Like, what's next? You're going to tell people they have to 
cover their hair? Where are we going with this? And I brought it up. And you know what? I was called racist. (laughs) I was, was, all the haters came out. But the haters are the ones that are on the internet all day, just waiting to whine and complain. And that's who we listen to now. And I'm not really sure why, but I think cooler heads need to prevail and maybe people who have seen other things because most of these people hadn't ever seen other, other cultures they didn't know what I was talking about. They didn't even know. Maybe I'm part of that culture. You don't know. You don't know where I'm from, right? Right. right. But they assume. And um, yeah, it was, it was disgusting. And the whole thing, also to go back to the hysteria, the people that I around me in California, the majority of them were so terrified. They wouldn't let their children out of the house. I mean, I saw little children that wrote on their windows, when can I go to the outside? Oh. And it, was, it, was, it was really disgusting. And we would take our kids just down the street, you know, walking. In the, by the way, it was like in the summer, it's like 115 there. There's no virus that's going to survive that kind of heat. And um, we would walk out on the street just to get our kids out of the house. And people would call the police because we weren't wearing a mask. No, for real? They would. Yeah, we found out they were. But the police were like, you know, they had more important things to deal with, I'm sure, than some children not wearing masks. And by the way, my kids were three and six. Oh, my goodness. So I just, I mean, don't even get me started on that. (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do now in the fall? Because are you in the county where? No, we escaped. We escaped. Yeah. You escape. Yeah, that's that's good. But I do you feel like like a federal mask mandate is coming to schools again? Well, I can say if it does, a lot of people will be disenrolling their children. It's already happening. Actually, enrollments in public schools are way down. Yeah. You don't hear about it in the news, of course, but they're way down. And um, I think a lot of people are I mean, I feel bad for the people who can't work at home. This means someone has to stay home with the children, right? And who is that usually? Right. It's usually the female. And um, again, going back to these countries where women were made to all of a sudden abandon their professions, cover up. Yeah, it just, um, I don't know if a mandate does happen. I'm in the free state of Florida, so... (laughs) That's a good move. Luckily, That's a good move. I have some protections, but and and the thing is, even when all this stuff happened and the governors were mandating whatever they decided to mandate, I thought the president had more say, and I was hoping, well, oh no, he won't support that, but he couldn't do anything because the governors had all the power. Right. So now it goes back to well, if they start saying no, you have to because the president. Well, that wasn't how it went with the mask mandate and everything else that we suffered through. So I hope that Florida wouldn't, you, I'm not. Oh, no, you guys, you guys have DeSantis, so you're safe. You're probably among the only truly safe (laughs) residents of this country because you have DeSantis standing between you and the lunacy. And that guy is going about, I saw a clip of a talk he did recently where he was explaining that's a lot of a significant amount of people who are pouring through the borders are being delivered to Florida and dropped off in Florida. Um, And then I I saw something about the raging cases in Florida and I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, 
Well, let's look at this. A, are the cases truly cases? Because now we mm -hmm. have the recall on the testing strips, right? The mm -hmm. That are proven to be incorrect and inaccurate. And God knows how many false positives have been out there because of those uh, mm -hmm. faulty strips, which are just now conveniently locating. And then you have all these people being dumped off in Florida who are not vaccinated anyway, like yeah. whether you believe in the vaccine or you don't right, believe in the right. vaccine or whatever. But, you know, let's look at the facts. But I think you guys are lucky you have DeSantis. But if he runs for president, you might lose him. Yeah, I know. That's what I, yeah. <laughs> well, but I think it, you'll have but, a yeah. sit, but you imagine him on a federal level. Right, right. But again, the Trump wasn't able to do anything with the mask mandate. I, I don't think he believed in a mask mandate for everybody. And it still happened where I was and it yeah. was allowed to happen. And do now it's think, happening again. Do you think that Florida will get, I mean, you, I can't see Florida voting in a Democrat governor. I'm anymore. not sure. Last time it looked like it was close for the guy that then was found passed out on drugs at a hotel room. I, I, that's what I <laughs> Which don't know. one is that? Are you talking about I'm Hunter Biden? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know Hunter Biden ran for a governor not, yeah, of Florida. Like that, sort of. <laughs> I, that's, but you know, then again, I right. think it's all, I don't believe what I see on the news. I don't know what's, what's the truth and what's not like you, now you have to dig even deeper you do. to find any do. truth at all. And, and, you know, does your experience in the CIA, does that have, like, did you learn about, were you exposed to anything? Like, are you aware of how misinformation, true misinformation campaigns or psychological oh, yeah. warfare or deploy, yeah. like, do you see any I, of that? You know, of course we weren't, the CIA was not supposed to be doing any of that type of thing in the U.S. That's not right. their, um, they're supposed to be overseas, right? right but I guess right, right. around the time I left, well, it, I left in 2011 and I honestly, when I was there, I wasn't really involved in any political, I didn't really even pay attention. I was young and I was, as you saw in the book, I was having a lot of fun with different men and, you know, I mean, I was yeah. having the time of my life in that area, but, um, I, so I didn't pay attention. I'm sure some of it was going on then. But since 2011, and probably around 20, 2008, it probably got um, worse there yeah. that way. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure. <laughs> I wasn't paying. Yeah. All I remember when I was yeah. leaving was when Petraeus was in. Mm -hmm. He just he had just come in, and there was the scandal with him. You know, who knows now what what was the truth and what's not? I I don't I don't even know. But yes, I I know that there is a propaganda campaigns and things like that, that it does happen. Um, and I think I've never thought I would see it in this country, but I think it is what's for sure going on right now. Right. And you know, you know what people are saying if they, or what people would say to you, if or a lot of people would say to you, if they heard you say that, right. They would just, Oh, oh yeah. A crazy I was told by somebody who'd known me for years and years and years, he just lost his ever loving mind on mm -hmm. me and told me that I was in a cult, that Dave had looped me into a cult and <laughs> we were just sheer evil and conspiracy theorists. And I should be ashamed of my, this woman who knew my husband, uh, who yeah. my husband sort of took care of while this mm -hmm. guy was training up underneath him. Um, and told me that my husband would be ashamed of me because of, oh, and I was like, Ooh, yeah, man, yeah. he like just went there. Right. Yeah. Um, but, and he's full of crap. He has literally no clue what he's talking about, mm -hmm. but that 
happens over and over. And why do you think it is that people now feel it is so okay to just launch these attacks on one another, but yet, you know, express outrage if that is turned back around on them? Well, I think a lot of it comes from social media. And while I like social media for, say, marketing a book, even though nobody sees my posts, but um, (laughs) I I, I know I'm with you. I'm with you. I like the way it maybe could help (laughs) with business or maybe it used to, but now, you know, it's not. But I think now we've got all these people with too much time on their hands that just think everybody cares about. And before it was like when they took a poop or they, went to the store or whatever. And I always kind of made fun of it in general because I never was like that, you know? Right. Um, and then now it's more like what everyone's mad at, you know? And I mean, I came from the land of, of outrage, you know? Out there, you learn from an early age what politically correct is and you kind of get indoctrinated into it. Luckily, I had lived other places. I lived in Thailand. I lived all over. I lived in Florida. You know, so I have kind of a broader view, but you do get indoctrinated a bit and um, you don't really realize it till later. But yeah, yeah, I have, I know exactly when someone says something conservative, I always know exactly what the liberal response would be. I know exactly the outrage that will come out. Right. Very predictable. The skill now. Yeah, wow. it is a skill. It's almost like a requirement, right? And that's <laughs> not just people who disagree and have like views to the moderate, but it, we're talking about people who are just like next level, um, mm-hmm. just invested. Oh, yeah. And I feel like yeah. a lot of what I have been accused of is actually a reflection of that person. Yes. <laughs> so, oh, for, for sure. You know? yeah. um, because all I've done is ask questions. I ask questions. Yeah. Okay, yeah. this is what you think. Why? Like, tell me right. why. Somebody give me a good reason why I should apologize for being white. Let's, yeah. let's start there. Somebody give me a good reason why I should feel guilty. I myself should feel personally responsible for mm-hmm. any racism in this country. And like, I should bear personal responsibility for atrocities that have happened. Um, not mm-hmm. to say that I have you know, as if I had participated in them. I right, think that's, right. that's the difference I'm looking at. You know, I've been, I've been accused as if I participated, oh, willingly yeah. participated in these yeah. things, which I, anyone who knows me knows never, ever, ever, you know, no, um, no. which the majority of Americans are, you know, just like that. Right. So, you know, when I ask questions is when I get attacked. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, you don't like oh, Trump. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you like Trump? Well, you know, he's obnoxious and he says, okay, but Let's get into his policies. Like I can say, I I see imperfections, but I'd rather an imperfect person doing good things for the country than an imperfect person with evil intentions for the (laughs) country. You know, that's just me. Well, yeah. And I remember me, I was attacked. I was told one, I I have blood on my hands, which I'm I'm not sure why. I, I think it was around the COVID thing. And by the way, that's been around now, what, a year and a half, maybe over. We don't know. Right. We probably already had it. Right. You know, and well, we know we did actually. But so it's like, it, it's insanity. And then um, the racist thing, <laughs> a lot of the people that were suddenly screaming that, that I was racist or whoever I knew was racist simply because they're Caucasian or appear to be Caucasian. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they they were all white women that were doing it, I have to say. It kind of harkens back to the CIA days when the people attacking me were all <laughs> women. I, yeah, and I have digressed you so far from that. Let's get back to that because you had some crazy stuff happening there in the CIA <laughs> offices, like actually people just full on sabotaging your career. Mm -hmm. I had yeah. a dose of that at the county level. When I had a county job, I had a female supervisor who was off her rocker and literally openly proudly stated that she was sabotaging me because she didn't like me, like openly yeah. said it like, yes, yeah. she was sabotaging me. She didn't care if it hurt the people mm -hmm. I was serving as long as it, she, she admitted it. But, and she was cool with that. Yeah. I did not expect that no. at this CIA level. You wouldn't, but I have to say it was more concentrated than um, any other workplace I've ever seen. The viciousness and, and mostly just the women. There were some men that were like that, but it was more the women, not, you know, and I don't hate anybody. I don't hate women now. Now it's going to be, oh, you hate women and you, yeah. you know, <laughs> but I, I don't. Right. But this is truthfully what happened. And these people just came at me. And by the way, in that book, I censored out a lot by myself. I, did, I didn't put a lot of things in. Um, maybe there'll be a sequel one day when I'm much older. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were just people yeah. that just didn't like me. And I didn't even know who a lot of these people were. I had no right. idea. I would just hear it would trickle down later or even while it was happening. I had no idea. They'd explain, oh, they know who you are. I, I, well, I had no idea. It was all these cubicle warriors, we call them. Yeah. <laughs> that just didn't like me because I had sure. blonde hair, whatever reason there was. Yeah, there were discussions about my hair color. There were, you know, you read it. Yeah. That weren't appropriate. And that's not an appropriate conversation. And right. coming from outraged California, you know, because I did move to DC from California also, um, I, knew, I knew the outrage. And um, yeah, it just, it was very strange. And I would assume it's gotten much worse since I was there. <laughs> You'd like to think it's better, right? Yeah, I would You'd like hope, to say, it's so interesting to me that you, that you didn't just say, I would assume it's gotten better, but no, your assumption is it's gotten worse, which is super interesting. Um, yeah. And it's real, I think. I think it's real and it's a little <laughs> sad and it's crazy. I have a son. One of my sons is at college now, um, heading into his junior year and fully committed to becoming the absolute top ballistics expert in the FBI. That's, that's his goal. Um, I have mixed feelings about the brain, you know, the service yeah. he's choosing to go into, but um, you know, fully there and supporting my son in any way. Do you have any insight for somebody like him who is moving towards a career path in one of these government agencies? I think, um, you know, it, it's worthwhile to do still, even though you're probably going to find some strange things. I think as a male going in, um, you would be, you wouldn't have any problems and you'd actually get to be a specialist in something so it would be it would be something good for a single female you know i hate to say it it just you saw i mean you're you're going to be brutalized so i the married females were treated much differently um they were more respected i have friends still we we still talk about it that just how if you were married and a female it, it was okay but if you were single you know you were gonna you were just picked out and singled out all the time without, I didn't even know most of the time it was happening. 
So I think he would be, it would be fine for him. I don't know if that makes me happy or sad. You know, I mean, as his mom, that makes me happy, but to hear, and the fact that my initial reaction inside, when you said that was like, oh, thank God. And then I'm like, what is wrong with me? Like, why would, that is not okay. (laughs) But like, I think that's also very telling on human nature, right? That was my first instinct, total transparency. My first instinct when you said that was, oh, thank God my son will be okay. And then, um, you know, common sense and just, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Morals, I guess, caught up with me there in that nanosecond afterwards where I was like, that's actually not okay. You know, now, F- sit- FBI might be different because you actually have to learn. Like, CIA does not carry guns. They're not. We did learn firearms, but that was only because I was in security for a brief stint. Right. But most of the people there, they don't know how to use a gun. There's not. It's not like Hollywood. But FBI and DEA and those, you actually do. And you have a skill that, you know is important. I'm not saying there aren't skilled people at the CIA, but just remember when I said I wanted to learn ethical hacking, they had no idea what I was talking about. What do you mean by that? When I was getting ready to either resign or get another assignment, which I had wanted to get another assignment, um, I asked if there was some way I could do some ethical hacking training because I really wanted to get into something more specific where I'd have a skill. Um, and they just, the people that are in the management just had no idea what that was. I know some people there do know what it is. What it's is it? I don't know what agency. it is. It's yeah. when you learn how to hack, but you're on the, the good side of it. You're not doing like the hacking for bad reasons. You're doing it for like um, security. Ooh, but who determines, who determines what's good and bad? Hacking? Well, yeah, of course you could always go bad, but um, yeah. I think it's a skill. It's a great skill. And I, I've learned it outside of the agency but I just thought well why not learn it why not train someone and if they want to learn something help them right it wasn't just me I mean there were plenty of kids there 25 they got to do whatever they wanted you know when we were closing our office where it was um they would let all these kids hang out they were gonna let them just hang out on their laptops and pay them you know by the way pay for their living pay for everything. We all lived in beautiful oceanfront condos. Um, But when I asked to do it, it was like, oh no, you have to come back to Washington, D.C. and do the same job you were doing before, but we don't have a job for you yet. I was going to be taken up there and I would sit in a room until I found a job, which is what they did for all the blacklisted people. You know, if you weren't in favor, you would (laughs) probably sit there with some very angry woman over you probably <laughs> you know it just I just knew where it was going right and yeah I wasn't going to do that so so I left but but the point is like they were willing to do training and these things for all these other people but me it was like no it was like I was I was insane so wow fascinating Shelly really <laughs> fascinating like so many different angles and avenues. And I can hear some people saying one thing and they're you know, screaming one mm-hmm. thing at this interview, another set screaming another. Like, I mean, even everything you're saying is, is going to stir up emotion one side or another. <laughs> and some people are going to be believing you and cheering from you for you. And other people are going to be like, well, she must've done something to yeah, deserve I, it. You know, I don't think so. um, well, make- remember it was 10 years ago. So I was, yeah. I was very, not to sound egotistic, I was very pretty and people always noticed me wherever I was. 
even, you know, I'm, I've always been shy. So nobody knew really what I was thinking. So I always get the, well, she's snobby or she's this yeah, or yeah. that because they don't know, they don't know me. They've never talked right. to me. So that was a lot of the problem. A lot of people have that problem, I'm sure. But yeah. nowadays, I mean, I'm older, I have kids. I just tell the truth, but I get the same, the same reaction from a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. What do you hope happens with the recall election in California? Oh, I, well, I hope they get rid of Newsom for sure. Um, do you think it's possible? I, I think it's always possible, but that state definitely has a one party system and, um, they don't, they don't allow the Republicans to even do anything in their legislature. I, I have a friend who tracks their legislature and I know they don't let the other side do anything. So, and that's basically what's happening in at a larger scale in this country now. Yeah. So what do you um, think we can do to trust in our elections? Uh, well, I think it worked good before, before all this COVID, you know, I thought it worked. Okay. Maybe it, I'm sure there was some fraud now that we see, but the fraud, I think, oops, I'm not supposed to talk about that. The fraud no. <laughs> okay. this time I think was, was huge. I do. I think it was huge. Yeah. And um, in California, I think the fraud has probably always been there because I did meet a lot of Republicans out there that would never have voted they all were voting for Trump for sure. I mean, more than you would think out there, but yeah. they're definitely silent out there because you can't, you can't say you like Trump. You can't agree with anything or you'll get shouted down and fired. And what do you think feet. would happen if every American who felt like that went out, went ahead, spoke up anyway, got fired, got mm. blacklisted and then regrouped, to support each other and start new businesses or get hired in new places. Like what, in my mind, I feel like we have to, unless we're willing to take some hits along the way, like Dave yeah. and I, and you writing for ops lens, you're like, you're putting mm -hmm. a, you know, a target on yourself yeah. as well. We have a target on ourselves. You know, our posts are squashed. We're suppressed. We're shadowed. We're yeah. squished yeah. down. I watch other people doing some of the same things we're doing and they're skyrocketing up because they're not speaking, but they'll say to me, Oh, I can't, I'm yeah. not going to go say that on my platform because I don't want to be squashed. I'm like, well, what mm -hmm. if we all just did it anyway and took the hits? I'm missing family events because, you know, they'll put me in a mask and I'll be the only one there in a mask because, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm exercising my physical yeah. autonomy. Over, you know? yeah. And so yeah. I'm not going to have your little uh, passport of approval there. So I'm like, I'm not going to go be in my, right. And I'm losing opportunities. I have people who don't want to work with us are we're, we have a much harder time getting our voice out on social media mm -hmm. than most mm -hmm. other people, but you know, we're doing it anyway and we're connecting with other people. So what do you think? Like, and I know it's easy for me to say, go ahead and get fired, go ahead and start the other job. But I really yeah, sort of I wish, I feel yeah. like, if you're not willing to do that now, we're going to suffer much greater consequences down the line. Maybe yeah. not in our generation, but our grandchildren uh, will, you know, like. Yeah. Well, my children, for sure. Your will. kids. Yeah. yeah. Maybe my kids, too. So that's sort of mm -hmm. where I'm at now. And I'm really just discovering that more and more as I'm kind of challenged and prodded more. Do you what are your thoughts on that? Right. It's hard. It's, yeah, it's hard to it's, say. 
I'm, I'm lucky. Like I, and that's the thing, like I took a huge risk leaving the agency in 2011. I didn't have a job lined up. I didn't have anything. And I, I had about a year's worth of money for rent. Right. But that was it. And, um, I took a giant risk and it was because I didn't like the way things were going. And I decided, well, it's my life and I get to change what I want to change in my life, you know? And, um, I just did it. And that's how I am. I just kind of do it. And eventually you make it work, even if it's hard. And I understand for some people, it would be much harder. I didn't have kids. I didn't have any responsibility. But if you don't like what environment you're in and it's a poisonous environment, then I say, I say, take the risk and get out and do something else. You can always go somewhere, learn a new skill. Like I had, I learned new skills. I did new things. I tried like a lot of different things. Um, and it ended up working out because 10 years later, I mean, I'm living in my dream location without saying exactly where it is. Um, and I have two kids, I'm older and you can do it. There's so many people, even to get off on another 39, they were saying, Oh, you won't be able to have a child, right? Most people, because they just, they, they just believe that you have to be 30 and then that's what you do. And then after that, you can't have kids. There's a lot right. of people that believe that. Well, I didn't ever buy into any of that. I just did what I thought I was going to do, you know, and it all worked out. You can't listen to other, other people. You have to make your own decision. And, um, I mean, I was the queen of being attacked and I just, and I probably still am, but you know, now I just don't care. Really. <laughs> Isn't that liberating <laughs> yeah. when you just realize that it's just wasted energy? Um, it's the forties, yeah. I guess you just start not caring or nearing 50, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I care. A lot. Not that I don't care. You know, of course I care, but yeah. I don't care to the part that it like wounds me or impacts me or stops no. me or makes me doubt myself, you know? So. Yeah, that is super interesting. All right. Here's a question I got to ask you because it's part of what we do and a question that I love to ask. Part of why we started American Snippets years ago is when we first felt this crack appearing, (laughs) you know, in our foundation. And part of what came under assault was the American dream, the notion of the American dream. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't serve in our country uh, at all, really, in any capacity, but I did um, lose my my husband who served. And that makes it very personal for me. And so I started to feel like I needed to do something to prove that what he died for and what so many other people are serving and sacrificing for in so many different capacities was, in fact, a reality. And that is the American dream. We just make sure to clarify that the American dream, and you've touched on this already, is different for everybody. It's not having all the kids by the time you're 25 and the white picket fence and the car in the driveway in two weeks a year, right? It looks different for everyone and you've exemplified that yourself. Um, so we know what the American dream means to us and I'd love to hear what it means to you. I would say um, doing what you wanna do for the most part, with, I mean, not within reason, but um, like if you like to write, I like to write. I made a career out of writing now. Um, it takes a while to get sometimes where you want to be, but just the risk is worthwhile. I, I think focus on something that you really like doing and then try to make a life out of that, you know? Love it. Love it. As much as you can. If people want to see your writing or buy any of your books, because you have several books out there. Yeah. And that is super cool. Um, where, can, where can they go to do that? 
Um, well, they're available on Amazon, of course, Barnes and Noble, all the different booksellers, Smashwords. Actually, they're free right now on Smashwords till the end of the month. What are what are those books? Um, all all of them. They're oh, all. I have so nine. Nine. Okay, shoot out some of the titles. Okay, so Single in the CIA. Mm -hmm. There's the Mingling in the CIA series, which is it's all real short. Um, Mission Stand Down, which is probably my basketball. And then I have two children's picture books, Mommy Thinks She's a Monster and The Lemon Seed. And then a new children's chapter book series called um, The Adventures of Shelly Beach. So that, the first one just came out. So Love I thought, it. Yeah. Love it. All right, oh, ShellyMatier.com. Sorry. Okay, perfect. I was literally just going to, <laughs> to, to throw that in because I saw that before as well. Shelly, M-A-T-E-E-R.com. And we're going to put that link in an article, you know, just below this podcast on our website for everybody to connect with you uh, and pick up some of your books and learn more about you. And you can also catch Shelly's writing, really good writing on opslens.com. It's O-P-S-L-E-N-S.com. It's a site created and run by another former CIA uh, officer, Ron Hammond, mm -hmm. our mutual friend. And uh, it has some really, really great stuff on there. So I'd encourage everybody to check that out as well. Shelly, thank you really so much for taking Thank the time to sit down much. with us today. Thank you. All right, everyone, there you have it. That wraps up another episode of the American Sippets podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'd like to personally thank Shelly Matier for being here as well and sharing her story. Make sure you go to americansippets.com forward slash newsletter. Check out the featured episode of the week. Check out the show notes of this podcast episode with Shelly Matier. Again, americansippets.com forward slash newsletter. If you got any value out of this episode, please leave us a five-star written review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. These reviews are really important in helping us grow our audience, get higher up there in the podcast rankings, and most importantly, get these stories out there in front of more people so we can continue to push our message and our mission forward. Again, we appreciate you being here today. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you really are. <music>